second scripture reading today, we are looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1532, 1532. Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Thus ends our reading of God's trustworthy word. May all who hear it place their faith in this Jesus, the one who spoke these words. There we go. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in the one that's designed for an adult, am I not? The one that will actually support my weight. Faith always has an object. Always. You see, faith is putting your trust in something or someone. For example, a, a skydiver puts his faith in his parachute. He believes that he can jump out of an airplane and survive because his parachute will slow his fall. Or think about something that, that many of you do every single day when you, when you sit behind the wheel of that automobile. You are putting your faith in your engine and in your tires and in your brakes. You believe that you can maneuver this vehicle in a manner that will from point A to point B safely. Whether it is a parachute or an automobile or, or a chair, each and every day we are placing our faith in objects. Faith always has an object. I think we're getting some background noise. Can you turn down the mic just slightly? 
see if that does any better. Is that better? Okay. Yeah, in our passage for today, Jesus, he gives us this vivid, vivid lesson in faith. He is trying to teach, teach us that we can put our trust in his word. That we can place our faith upon him. And he does this in the most unusual way. But before we begin, before we get to that, let's do some review so that we can understand the context of this passage. We have now reached a point in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus had, had come to Jerusalem, the, the city of David. And if you recall, he entered in humbly riding upon a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna. He had now revealed himself to the world as this Messiah, the Son of David, the King of the Jews. And what was, and what was the first thing that, that Jesus did after he arrived? Do you remember? He went to the temple where he would also declare himself as their high priest. But it was there that he saw the fruit of these religious leaders where he saw the court of the Gentiles being overrun by a market. No longer was it this solemn place of worship, but it had become a den of robbers, as it was controlled by both the greedy and those who wanted convenience in their worship. This led to Jesus cleansing the temple. He, he turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He drove out all those who were buying and all those who were selling. And once he had cleared the yard, once he had removed the, the vestiges of this false worship, he then began to minister to the people by healing both the lame and the blind. You see, there was significance in what Jesus did. Not only did he declare himself as the new high priest, but by cleansing the temple in the way that he did, he had cast judgment on his former caretakers. He was communicating a, a message to the nation of Israel that unless they repented, a more severe judgment would fall upon them. And it is in our story for today, this account of the barren fig tree, that Jesus further demonstrates the people's need to bear fruit. Let's, let's look at our passage. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. In this short little section, we receive insight into the two natures of Christ. We see both his humanity and that he hungered, and we see his divinity and that what he spoke came to be. Now, there are a number of doctrines or, or Christian teachings that can be difficult for us to grasp. Uh, think, for example, the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one God and yet he is three persons. Similarly, Jesus is one person with two natures. 
He is fully human, and He is fully God. In His human nature, He is subject to human limitations, just as we are. When He works, He gets tired and needs to rest. If He gets cut, He bleeds. And when He doesn't eat, He gets hungry. And this is what we see as He was walking back to Jerusalem. Jesus hungered. But we see another thing as well. For, for when he arrived at this fig tree and found it barren, he cursed it. And his curse was effective. The tree withered immediately. It is in this where we see Christ's divine nature, that he is God. Only God can command nature in the, in the way that Jesus does. Think back to, to Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus had calmed the storm. If you remember, Christ was sleeping on the boat when a, when a tempest came. Uh, a storm that was so bad that his disciples were fearing for their lives. What did they do? They, they woke up Jesus. Look at, look at verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The disciples were right in asking that question. What kind of man is this? He is the God-man. The one to whom all creation bows. Even a fig tree that bears no fruit. And while it was good for us to understand the two natures of Christ, that still doesn't answer, answer for us the why. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why curse this barren fig tree? I mean, whatever, what did the fig tree ever do to him? Why didn't he use his godly authority to make it grow some fruit instead? I mean, the, the, the one who could multiply the bread could certainly make the fig tree grow some fruit. There's something more that's going on here than just an empty tree. Jesus is trying to give a lesson to his disciples, and he's using this fig tree as a vivid, vivid example. Now, a, a fig tree will start shooting its leaves at roughly the same time or even later than when it starts producing figs. And so this tree that Jesus went to that was full of leaves demonstrated the promise of being fruitful. It should have at least had some figs, even if they were unripe figs. But this tree had none. It showed all the potential of bearing fruit, and yet it was fruitless. Consider the timing of this incident. I mean, what did Jesus just do the previous day? He, he cleansed the temple. He had spoken judgment upon a religious system that on the outside looked to be bearing much fruit. And 
yet on the inside, it had none. I mean, think about the temple courts. The court of the Gentiles was full of these vendors selling animals, of the money changers. There were people from all over the world that had come to celebrate the Passover. It looked to be bearing so much fruit. And yet their worship was shallow as it had fallen under the system of greed and convenience. It was just like this fig tree. On the outside, it was full of leaves, but once you stepped inside the courts, it bore no fruit. It was barren. Think about what we read in our first scripture reading in the book of Jeremiah when the prophet spoke of a people who had turned away from God, who had refused to return. They had, he, he said these words, they had clung to deceit and refused to repent. They had rejected the word of the Lord and the wisdom that it brings. And then God spoke to the people these words. Look at Jeremiah 8, verse 13. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. You see, a fruitless tree and withering leaves is a judgment from God Almighty. And this was the message that Christ wanted his disciples to see. Look at, look at their response. Look at verse 20. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Probably not yet grasping the significance of this curse, the disciples were filled with awe. Awe at how rapidly this tree had withered away. Jesus, this is, this is not natural. How did this happen? Now these men had been with Jesus for roughly three years. They had seen amazing, amazing things. And yet... Christ could still put them in awe. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him cast out demons. They had even seen him raise the dead. And yet here we are, a withered fig tree astounding them. Once again, we get a demonstration of their little faith. But I imagine that each and every one of us would have been astounded as well. I mean, how often do we as a church demonstrate our little faith? God has promised to us in his word many, many things, and yet all too often we lack the faith to believe those promises. For example, God has promised that, that his word will not go out void, that it will be effective in the hearts of those who hear it. And yet, how often do we shy away from speaking God's truth because we think that it will be ineffective? Certainly, God cannot reach that person. In many ways, we are just like these disciples. We have been walking with Jesus for many, many years now, and yet we lack faith in the things that he says. 
that Jesus has an answer for both his disciples and for us. Look, look at his response. Look at verse 21. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you have faith and do not doubt. Faith in what? Remember, faith always has an object. It is putting one's trust in something or in someone. And the faith that Jesus was talking about was faith in his word. In fact, in the fact that Jesus cursed this fig tree and it withered immediately, that's what Jesus was pointing to. But, but faith in his word also necessitates a faith in him. For a man's word is only as good as the man himself. And so Jesus is telling his disciples to place their faith in him. Faith in who he is and what he can do. Faith that his word is true even when it is a word of judgment. And did you catch that last sentence? If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In other words, they were to anchor this faith in prayer. But the question is always going to come up. Well, what did Jesus mean when he said, whatever you ask for? Does that mean if I pray for a Lamborghini, that when I walk out this church and I look in my driveway, it'll be parked right out there? What, if I ask for that promotion at work, that God will be obligated to give it to me? That if my faith is big enough, that God will make me healthy, wealthy, and wise? Unfortunately, that's how many take Jesus' words to be. As if God is some kind of cosmic vending machine for their own worldly desires. But that's not what Jesus meant. And that's not how prayer works. For true prayer is not about you. No. The essence of true prayer is about aligning your will with the will of God. How did Jesus teach his disciples how to pray? How do we begin that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, prayer is about His kingdom. It is about His will and not your own. And so when Jesus said that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, He was presuming that His disciples already knew how to pray. That they had a grasp upon that already. That they understood that prayer wasn't about their will, but God's. I mean, think about it. What if it were true that prayer is about getting whatever selfish thing that you ask for? Well, then Christ's disciples were horrible at this. For if they had been praying that way, their lives would have looked much, much different. For one, they wouldn't have been persecuted. 
Instead, they would have prayed for power and control. They wouldn't have been kicked out of the synagogues and arrested for proclaiming the gospel. Rather, they would have been in charge of those same synagogues and living their lives free from any threats. And they would have had wealth beyond measure in order that they could fund all their kingdom endeavors. But that's not what we see from the lives of these men. No. Theirs was a life of suffering and pain that eventually ended in martyrdom. And these things occurred because they prayed for God's will and not their own. And yet God used these men in mighty, mighty ways. Christ's kingdom grew because of their prayers. Think of the Apostle Paul who prayed three times for God to remove a, a thorn in his flesh. What did God say to him? Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul didn't get what he asked for because it wasn't, it wasn't aligned with God's will. Again, faith always has an object. And Jesus was telling his disciples to put their trust in his words. For the words that he spoke came from the Father. Thus they were trustworthy. They were true. Look at the Gospel of John chapter 15. Look at verse 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know, does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John describes this same connection between the commands of Jesus and the will of the Father. And thus having faith in Christ's words will bear much fruit. That to pray in the, in the name of Jesus will be effective. Dear friends, are you trusting in the words of Christ? Do you believe that what he says will come to pass? Are you aligning your will with his? Jesus spoke and the sea was calmed. Jesus spoke and demons were cast out. Jesus spoke and a tree withered away. And there are plenty of other promises that Christ has given to his people. Promises of deliverance for all those who trust in him. Promises of the gospel going forth into all the earth. Promises that the world will despise you because it despises him first. Promises that he will be right beside you through it all. And yes, promises of judgment. Judgment upon a false religion that makes a mockery of his name. I don't think it was an accident 
that the example that Jesus gives is, is saying to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. What mountain was he referring to? The mountain they were walking towards. The temple mount. And as we go further into Matthew's gospel, we will see more and more that as these challenges from the religious leaders come before Jesus, what we will also see is that over and over again, Jesus will give this theme of destruction. Destruction falling upon Jerusalem, and in particular, the temple. And it is here in this picture of the withered fig tree and then this illusion of the temple mount being cast into the sea that we get another glimpse of this, of the, that the temple system has become corrupted. It has become obsolete. And that God would soon be putting an end to it. You see, the, the, the corruption of the, uh, of the temple was only a symptom of man's unbelief. For they were practicing a religion that on, on the outside looked clean and spotless, yet on the inside was full of death and decay. And while there were many in that city who, who shouted Hosanna, many who were looking to Jesus for salvation, what we will discover is that there were many, many more who did not believe, who did not trust in Jesus. The object of their faith was now among them, and yet they refused to believe. They were dried up and withered. But this lesson of the fig tree is for you today as well. For the object of your faith has been revealed to you through God's holy word. It is scripture that points you to Jesus. And the question that you must answer is this. Do you believe in the words of Christ? That God's word is true. That he is true. And if you do, then will you align yourself to his word? To his will? For that is what true faith does. It, it, it says to this chair... I believe in your strength and I will sit upon you. Dear friends, if you want your prayer life to be effective, then you must put your trust in the promises of God. For when you do, then you will not be like that fig tree demonstrating potential with all your leaves on the outside and yet being barren within. No. Instead, you will bear much as you pray and believe in Christ who is the object of your faith. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you now that that all too often we lack faith in you. That we are like that fig tree who was dried up and withered. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to, to move among us, to water us, so that we may produce fruit. That he might 
produce faith within us. And that the object of our faith would be your Son. Help us to believe that Christ's words are true. And help us to align ourselves to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.